And that leads us to our scripture this morning. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn to the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 10. Verses 1 through 10. You'll find that on page 874 of your church Bibles. And if you don't have a copy of God's Word to call your own, please take uh, the uh, copy of the Bible that's in the pouch in front of you and just receive it as a gift from this church family. And I'm going to be reading Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 10, and you'll find that also on the screen behind me. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him, that is Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So he, that is Jesus, told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she's found it, She calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. This is God's word. Michael Cheshire is a pastor uh, in Colorado. He tells about a time that he was having lunch with a very good friend of his who also happened to be an atheist. They were at a sports bar having a conversation when on the television screen came this report about the fall of Ted Haggard. Ted Haggard, he had started a church in Colorado Springs in his basement with 20 people. And that church exploded to 14,000. He was the president of an organization called the National Association of Evangelicals, an organization that had about 30 million members. His star was on the rise, and then he had this awful, terrible, embarrassing moral failure. And the report on the television was just recounting his fall, the fall of Ted Haggard. And as this report was finishing up on the television, Michael Cheshire's atheist friend pointed to the screen and said, you see, Michael, right there, that's why I'm not a Christian. Right there. I'm not a Christian for that very reason. Michael Cheshire pushed back. He said, hey, hey, wait a minute now. Don't lump me in with guys like him. We're not all like that. You know that. 
To which Michael's friend laughed and said, You see, Michael, you just proved my point. This guy said he was sorry. He's asked for forgiveness. His wife has taken him back. His children has taken him back. And yet you Christians seem to hate him. And that's why I'm not a Christian. Then he said this. These words that left Michael Cheshire reeling. He said, you Christians are all alike. You always eat your own. Always have, always will. I got to go. There's a lot of that going on in these verses here that I just read. Luke chapter 15. Luke tells us that all the wrong kind of people were coming near to hear Jesus. They wanted to hear what he had to say. Jesus had this incredible ability to uh, draw the outsiders to himself. And they were tax collectors and sinners. Now, what's that? Well, tax collectors. That means that they were of Hebrew ethnicity, but they had been contracted out by the Roman Empire to get the taxes from the other Hebrews. And this is how the contract worked. Rome said to a tax collector, we need X amount. Go get it. You sign the contract, you're on the hook for that. Now then, any amount that you can get above and beyond that, well, that's for you. Now, you can see how that kind of arrangement was a blank check for abuse. And there was rampant abuse in Jesus' day. And as a result, the Hebrew tax collectors, they were hated by their own countrymen. I mean, they were viewed as traitors. Uh, you know, they had sold out to this pagan foreign occupying power so they were just excommunicated they were on the outside and then there's this phrase sinners what's that well that's just a catch-all phrase Uh, that's just a catch-all phrase uh, ranging from prostitutes to synagogue dropouts well they're all just sinners tax collectors and sinners and yet they were drawn to the holy one of Israel. Isn't that interesting? The, uh, the countenance and the personality and just the presence of Christ drew the outsiders to the Holy One of Israel. Well, the Pharisees and the scribes, the religious elite, they did not approve of this at all. Verse 2 tells us that they were harumphing at this, that they Verse 2 says, they grumbled, they grumbled. Oh, we've, we've seen that word before in the Bible. New Testament comes to us by the way of Greek. And the word grumble in the Greek is the word gongusmas. Gongusmas. Say that with me on three. One, two, three. Gongusmas. Ooh, gongusmas. Kind of sounds like what it is, huh? Well, this is diagongusmas. That's, uh, that's gongusmas on steroids. 
They were really uptight about this. Gongu, this man, Gongusmas, he receives Gongusmas, sinners, Gongusmas, and eats with them, Gongusmas. Gongusmas. <laughs> he eats with them. He eats with them. That's a very important phrase there because you see, we're talking. We're talking Middle Eastern hospitality. We're talking table fellowship. We're talking when you eat with someone, you're doing life together. You're inviting them into your life. You're befriending them. You're not ashamed of them. You're coming to this table of family and friendship and love and acceptance. And, 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 and so here on one side, you had all the outsiders, the tax collectors and the sinners. And then you had Jesus. And then on the other side, you had the, the quote-unquote insiders, the religious elite, the scribes and the Pharisees who were the, the gongus masters. And here was Jesus in the middle. And so he's, you know, he's right in the middle of these two. And so he's like, he's, you know, they're drawing near to hear him, the tax collectors and sinners, but these gongus masters are gongus massing. And so he's, guys, hang on just a second. What? What? Look, 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 fellas. Let, let's say that Let's say that you were a shepherd and you had a hundred sheep. Oh, well, that really set them off. It did. And here's why. We miss this. Shepherding in Jesus' day was a despised trade. It was like the lowest of the lowest of the lowest on the, on the ladder rung. And, and so, well, think about it. I mean, a, a shepherd, you know... No hygiene, you're outside all the time, you smell like sheep, you got to handle sheep, some of the sheep die, some of the sheep get sick. I mean, it's just, ooh, ooh, it's just not, shepherds were considered no better than thieves by the day of Christ, and here's why. These shepherds would let these sheep roam. They'd roam onto your property and they would eat your vegetation on your property. And, you know, they just. And in fact, there was a Jewish teaching that said something like this In all the world, there is no more despised occupation than that of a shepherd. So when Jesus says, Let's say you were a shepherd, they're going to, Oh, please. They're really gongus mossing them. Don't even get me thinking about it. Well, that's why Jesus told that parable. He wanted them to think. He wanted them to do more than just think about it. He wanted them to feel it. Feel it. What? What if you had a hundred sheep and you lost one of them? Would that shepherd not leave the 99 out in the open field and then go on a search and rescue mission after that one that is lost, verse 4, until he finds it? Then he finds it? What happens? Man, he lays his hand on it and he rejoices and he hoists it up on his shoulders and he calls his friends, I found it! My lost sheep, I found it. Rejoice with me, I'm telling you. Rejoice with me. Now, right about the time, you may be thinking to yourself, well, if he leaves the 99 out in the open field, rescue that one, lost one, won't the 99 stray? What kind of a shepherd? You know, we're overthinking the parable if we do that. See, that's not the point of the parable. That's not. The point of the parable is this. When Jesus eats with 
the undesirables, when Jesus eats with the outsiders, when he eats with the tax collectors and the Pharisees and the Ted Haggard types, when he does that and shares table fellowship with them and, and displays hospitality and openness, what is that like? That is like a shepherd who leaves the 99 and goes out and searches and searches until he finds it. Until he finds it. And when he does, he throws a party. My goodness. Now, if that is how a human shepherd acts, how much more then? Will your heavenly Father act? You see, this is a how much more than parable. It's an analogy. If this is the way human beings are, well, how much more then is our heavenly Father? Jesus is trying to tell these scribes and Pharisees, the religious elite, he's trying to communicate with them something about how God is, God's heart what he's like and what he's saying is this they were grumbling because they were saying this man receives sinners the truth is this jesus does not receive sinners he pursues them he goes after them he takes the initiative to go get them this is our god This is our, Jesus is telling us something about our Heavenly Father, and then He's telling us something about His work, His association with those whom the religious elite would call outsiders. I'm doing God's work. I am God's Son. Jesus is telling us that He is the fulfillment of Ezekiel chapter 34. Ezekiel 34, another place in the Bible where disappointment at the religious elite led to lost sheep, and then God himself says this. This is beautiful. In Ezekiel 34, 15, God says, well, God says in 34, he says to the religious elite in Ezekiel's day, you're fired. That's what he says. And then he says in 34, 15, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them Lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak and the fat and the strong. I will, go down to the footnote, I will watch over. I I will feed them in justice. God says, I'm going to do this. There, continuing on in 34, God says, I will rescue my flock. They will no longer be a prey. I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. And Jesus is saying in this parable, I am that shepherd that Ezekiel spoke of. I am that good shepherd, you see. He's telling us something about the nature of God and what it's like. I don't just receive sinners. I go after them. Is he going after you today? And then, as if to emphasize his point, Jesus says, well, okay, what woman, if she had ten silver coins, you get it? You get it? What's God like? A man, a woman, 99 uh, sheep, nine coins, one lost sheep, one lost coin. You see that? 
having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, what does she do? She's going to light a lamp. She's going to move the furniture. She's going to sweep and scour and search and search and search until she finds it, seeking diligently, verse 8. And then finally she finds it. What? She, and what does she do? She yells, oh, I found that. I found the lost coin. The lost coin, what's that? It's a drachma. It's a day's wage. I don't know how much you make in a day. You lost that amount of money? Where is that? I'm going to find it. She finds it. I found it. I found it. Her neighbors who are next door to those thin walls say, well, good for you. You found it. That's wonderful. And she says, rejoice with me, which means let's have a party. Now, who does that? Who does that? Who has a banquet for lost livestock? Who spends money for a party to celebrate recovered money? Who does that? You know what the problem was with the scribes and Pharisees? They had absolutely no imagination whatsoever. None, 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 none. They weren't artists. They weren't. They could not imagine a shepherd abandoning 99 sheep to find one. They, could not, they couldn't imagine a woman scouring and searching a home for a single coin. Could not imagine that. They could not, they could not imagine either throwing parties after finding such things. They could, they could not imagine a shepherd or a woman presiding over a profound cultural act of community table fellowship. They just couldn't, they just couldn't fathom that. They, they, they couldn't imagine tax collectors and sinners changing their lifestyle. And they couldn't imagine Jesus having dinner with them. They just can't imagine it. But Jesus can. See. Jesus can. See, we read these parables. You remember the matrix? You remember Morpheus? What does he, what does he present to Neo? Would you like the blue pill? Or would you like the red pill? You take the blue pill and you go back to sleep and you wake up and you live life, blah, blah, blah. But if you take the red pill, oh, there's no going back. All I have to offer you is the truth. And once you take the red pill, we're going to see how far down this rabbit hole it goes. That's what we see here. See, these parables are not just cute stories. These parables allow us en to enter another world, another dimension, a dimension where inconceivably lost things can be found and actually celebrated over. Jesus he doesn't receive sinners. He pursues them. He goes after them. Jesus is inviting us to see a whole new world. Do you see that? Can you see that? Now, right about this time in my studies, I'm thinking to myself, well, 
these parables with these outsiders and tax collectors and sinners, I mean, if, you know, if we receive them, if we accept them, won't we, wait a minute, now won't we end up with some sort of squishy morality in the church? And the answer is no, for two reasons. Reason number one, there is a huge difference between moral discernment and personal condemnation. Huge difference. Jesus hung out with all the wrong people, but he never shared their lifestyle. In fact, he called them to holy living, and he calls us as well. But he never thought like a scribe or a Pharisee, and he never acted in a way contrary to love. But secondly, showing up for dinner with Jesus is in itself an act of repentance, you see? See, those who, have, those who share table fellowship with Christ, those are the ones who have decided to turn from what they've done and from their old life and who they are. And so they come to the table with Jesus knowing that this means a new journey, new life. You see, a lost coin, a lost coin is in effect a dead coin. A lost lamb is, in effect, a dead lamb. Functionally, it's just it's dead if it's lost. And the lost son, for all practical purposes, is a dead son. But that they come to the dinner table with Christ is in, it, in itself an act of repentance where they say, I've been to that dead end, and I don't want to be there. I want to be with the one who is truly life. And Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. And neither should we. Neither should we. Michael Cheshire. After that conversation with his atheist friend, he realized he lived within an hour of Ted Haggard. So he sent him an email, and they exchanged emails a few times, and they arranged to to meet, to have lunch together. And this is what Michael Cheshire said after his conversation with Ted Haggard. He said, in less than five minutes of talking with Ted, I realized a horrible truth. I liked him. He was brutally honest about his failures. He was excited that the only people who would talk to him now were the truly broken and hurt. Deep inside, God was teaching me that true salvation is an ongoing process. So we spent two hours together and we just decided to stay in touch and we became friends. But then Michael Chester said the funniest thing started to happen. He said, some Christians that I hung out with told me that they would distance themselves from me if I continued reaching out to Ted Haggard. In fact, some of the people in the church where I served told me that they were going to leave the church. Really? Like, does Ted have leprosy? Will he infect me? We're friends. We're not dating. But in the end, I was told that my voice as a pastor would be tarnished if I continued to spend time with him. And I found this sickening. And then Michael Chester said this. 
He said, I, I think it would do some Christians good to stay home one weekend and watch the entire HBO series, Band of Brothers, and marinate in it, and take notes, and write down words like loyalty, friendship, sacrifice, and understand the phrase, never leave a fallen man behind. And that's this parable, isn't it? This is the parable. This is a parable about in God's, in God's world, he doesn't leave the fallen behind. He doesn't just receive the lost, he goes after the lost. Listen, listen, if you want to influence others for Christ, you've got to have the heart of Christ. And the heart of Christ is this. I'm not going to just receive you, I'm going to go after you. I'm going to pursue you. I'm going to pursue you. That's our shepherd. That's our shepherd. Who might you be in these verses? Who might you be? You know, there's a real temptation to give you three choices, okay? Um, And it would sound something like this. Are some of you scribes and Pharisees? Are some of you tax collectors and sinners? Are you Jesus? Three choices. I think that's a mistake, because I think there's only two choices, okay? And here they are. There's the lost, and then there's Jesus. Now, who are you? (laughs) Some of us are lost in irreligious behavior. Others of us are lost in religious behavior. Both are lost. We're lost. And what Christ wants is to reclaim us and adopt us into his family. He loves the scribes and Pharisees too, you see. See, it's not just that he wants them to go. He doesn't want anybody to go away. He wants the irreligious loss. He wants the religious loss. He's going after them both. His talk with them shows that he wants all around his table. I'm going to show you my favorite slide of this morning. Here it is. How to tell a sinner from a saint. (laughs) If you're a Christian, you're evidence that people can change. People can change. Can you believe what's been on the news lately in our town? This hiring controversy at the U of I, holy mackerel, what a brouhaha. One side says it's about academic freedom, the other side disagrees. One side says First Amendment, the other side says no. Here's my question. I think this is the most important question. Can the gospel change someone's heart to the degree that it changes what comes out of their mouth? Or their Twitter account? Or their Facebook page? And if so, here it is. If so, would such a person have a place in this church? Wouldn't we want to welcome them? 
about the NFL scandal that's going on. Professional athletes committing acts of domestic violence against wives and children. My goodness. Can the gospel affect so much change as to, as to quench the anger that would lead to such violent behavior? And if so, would we welcome such repentance? Would we? Well, we're here. The gospel's changed us. What, what unites us is not our righteousness, is it? It's his righteousness. His grace has covered over and blotted out our unrighteousness. Do you remember Mark Twain's Huckleberry Finn? The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn. Huck is told that if he doesn't turn in his um, friend, a runaway slave named Jim, if he doesn't turn Jim in, he's going to burn in hell. So Huck, who doesn't want to lose his soul to Satan, writes a letter to Jim's owner telling her of Jim's whereabouts. Writes the letter, folds the letter, and then he starts to think about what kind of friend Jim has been, how Jim has meant to him, and how Jim took the night watch so that he could sleep, and how they laughed, how they survived together. Jim's his friend. I mean, that's worth something, isn't it? Huck realizes that it's either Jim's friendship or hell. And then, as only Mark Twain can write it, Huck rips up that letter and says, All right, then, I guess I'll go to hell. And Michael Cheshire said, becoming friends with Ted Haggard was a defining moment in my life and in my ministry and in my career. And yeah, I lost a few friendships. But I don't think they would have cared for me in my failures either. So really, I didn't lose anything. If being Ted's friend causes some to hate and reject me, All right, then, I guess I'll go to hell. And you can read about his story in an article he wrote called Going to Hell with Ted Haggard. (laughs) But that's what Jesus did, right? He went to hell for us on the cross. He was separated from his heavenly father for our sins. He said, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Jesus, the shepherd, the one shepherd who became a lost sheep for you, for me. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. The shepherd who became a lost sheep so that we could be redeemed 
and saved. He was lost for us so that by his death and burial and resurrection and ascension and the sending of his Holy Spirit into our lives, into the life of this church, we might become shepherds as we shepherd one another and follow up on one another and love one another and encourage one another and serve one another and grow together being remade into this holy community. Holy, not by our holiness, but His. Righteous, not by ours, but His. Now that, friends, is church. Amen.